Hello, and welcome to this uh, single issue episode of the History of Yugoslav Football podcast. Um, wasn't really sure what to describe it then. Uh, it's not quite an ad hoc one, really. Uh, it's certainly not a season review one, because um, it's more similar to what we did a few months ago when we were talking about the crisis at Partizan. We're talking about another crisis, but a crisis of a slightly different flavour this time around. Um, specifically looking at Maribor. Now, I know what you might think, um, which is that, is this going to be a bit like Partizan where um, I'm talking about Maribor potentially being in danger of disappearing and things like that? Um, no, uh, that's certainly not the case with the club, or at least if it is, um, there's certainly not been any information to suggest that that would be the case, uh, at least not imminently anyway. Um, as J.K. Galbraith would say, in the long term, everyone's dead. So, um, yes, <laughs> in the long term, Maribor will have issues, um, but anyway. Um, the issues, or at least the, the crisis at Maribor as it is, um, are far more deep-rooted at the club, probably than even at Partizan. You know, at Partizan, we're talking about it being a few bad eggs um, spoiling everything. Um, in Maribor, there's a few elements to it, um, some of which are people-based, some of which are structure-based, some of which are infrastructure-based, um, which are all contributing to the sort of perfect storm of them being in a mess again. Um, what they're not in is a mess as bad as last season, potentially, um, you know, when they uh, dispensed with Radovan Karanovic and uh, brought in um, Damir Kirzna, you know, Maribor were bottom of the table. Uh, they're not bottom at the moment, they're fourth. Um, but the loss to Olympia this past weekend in the Eternal Derby um, has brought a lot of things into focus and it's brought a lot of dirty laundry uh, out of the club uh, that they certainly would much rather have kept as entirely internal issues and that's really what I want to go through in this particular episode because you know, we're not talking about existential threat or existential doubt at least any more so than normal um, we're talking about just a club that isn't operating to its fullest and as a result that is playing out in a, a story and a narrative that is on the pitch as much as it is off it. So let's go through those because I think you can broadly um, put their issues into oh, three blocks. One which we can get rid, rid of um, very very quickly um, which is infrastructure one. Um, if I was to put things together, I think, in probably four groups. Um, you would have infrastructure, uh, on-the-pitch tactics, personnel, and probably overarching those latter two, communications. Um, to deal with the infrastructure one extremely quickly, um, you know, while there isn't any suggestion that Marlborough are in any financial difficulty or anything like that at all, I'm not you know, I'm not saying anything like that, uh, and I wouldn't because there isn't any evidence to suggest it. I think there is certainly the suggestion that some of their overheads are greater than those of other clubs in Slovenia, not 
because of how the club's set up necessarily, but because of Le Civiet, um and the cost of it takes to keep that uh, ticking over as a you know a high quality UEFA stadium um, year on year. It is an aging building, um, and you know, it is quite a unique looking building as well in terms of the arches and stuff. Um, you know, it is one of football in the region's more identifiable structures. You know, just based on you know, just based on purely the outline of the stadium, um, you have that. And that is something that is going to be a drain on the club going forward for quite some considerable time uh, until there is quite a considerable sum to invest in it to bring it up to code and then, you know, sort of get rid of those uh, niggling issues that cost you, you know, maybe 50 to 100,000 pounds more than they should each season. Um, and you're sort of freeing up that discretionary income, as it were. Really... It's not a big factor, um, and probably all that you, if you're you know, a listener who doesn't really know anything about Slovenian football, doesn't really know too much about Maribor, the education point for you on this is that you know, from a standing start, all clubs being equal, because of Maribor's you know, physical structures and things like that, um, they automatically have a higher cost base, um, you know, whatever they spend on the side. Now, it's fair to say that they are looking to spend less on the side um, than they have previously. Um, and that is where it sort of comes into the personnel off the pitch structure. Um, but I think sort of personnel off the pitch, on the pitch, and communications between those aspects really it's almost all one and that's obviously what's going to take up the lion's share of what I'm going to talk about today um, because what you can't do is not work in a unified manner um, you know obviously I've worked within clubs um, and you know been around uh, scouts you know, various scouts various analysts various clubs you know <laughs> from the UK all the way out to Eastern Europe um, and one of the things you've got to work is as a team, um, which seems a very obvious thing to say, uh, and should be the case in almost every company uh, that is more than a one-man band. Um, but you have to have a sort of unity of direction, particularly in football, um, and particularly in Slovenian football right now. Because if you're talking about the competitors at the top of the league, uh, of which Maribor will see themselves as one, you have maybe four clubs, if we're including Maribor, which are Olympia, Sellier, and Copair. Copair, you have Zoran Zelkovic, who's been in there, he's been in place for quite a long time, and they do have a very, you know, solid structure. It's been in place for a long time, and there's a lot of trust, a lot of agency for, for Zelkovic to to get what he wants in terms of recruitment, in terms of squad building, in terms of making things work, basically. At Cellier, you have Riera. We obviously saw him last season. Um, you know, extremely dogmatic manager. Um, very interesting personality. Um, as, as we saw with Olympia Copair this past weekend. Sorry, as we saw with Cellier Copair this past weekend, not Olympia. Um, as we saw with Olympia Copair earlier this year. Um, 
and you very much will bend the squad to his will to play the football he wants to play which means that he recruits what he wants to recruit at Olympia you have obviously Javier Enriquez and having had Riera there before you know means there is a continuity of thought there's continuity of personnel other than Riera um, and they're set on a plan and that plan's been set from the top you know from not just from Javier Enriquez but from Alan Dilius, uh, as the owner of the club, to make sure that that club is, is everyone's pulling in the right direction. Now, the reason we mention that is because at Maribor, you don't appear to have that. Uh, and there's a few signings that I would say you know make it quite clear that you don't appear to have that. Um, I think you don't necessarily have at the club a strong single ownership figure um, that you have at Olympia you know, people will much malign Adam Delius or you know, even going <laughs> going slightly further back, you know, the pre previous ownership regime at the club um, people will malign certain actions that uh, took place there, but what you can't deny is that you had a strong voice there providing a direction for the club. Um, you have that at Zellier, and you have that at, it's like this lesser concept, at Copair in their structure. At Maribor, really, you don't hear from anyone, um, not since the Zavich era, um, which we'll touch on very I think how that uh, particular era ended, I think, was bruised the, the club. Um, because you know, it wasn't just necessarily a golden age ending or anything like that. It was a golden age ending because your sporting director in Zavich was uh, allowed some of the darker elements of his personality to take over the public running of the club, and it just all ran out of steam. Um, and as such, you haven't necessarily had that direction. You know, the current sporting director, obviously Marco Soler, um, you know, former Marvel player, you know, well-known player, um, and has been there in, now in post for a couple of years. You have Damian Kishnan as manager, and it seems a lot of the communications of the club goes through Soler, um, and. I think he has always come across as quite handy in that he is very good at defending things. Um, you know, he he's comes across, you know, when I'm reading the interviews, when I'm watching footage of him, as the sort of person whom you would see wheeled out on the morning TV programmes by the Conservative Party in the UK. Which is um, not a compliment. Um, well, some people listening might think it's a compliment. I think most probably won't. Um, by that, I mean that you know he's very capable of explaining things, and he's very capable of you know mounting a stern defence for whatever point he's trying to argue. But he's not necessarily. <laughs> in a position where those arguments are 
directly compelling or convincing. You know, he's sort of almost just defending stuff because he's defending stuff because he's been asked to go out there and defend stuff. Um, which, given that, you know, I think Marvel kind of are at pains to say he's got quite a bit of agency in terms of recruiting the side. Um, it's quite weird, I think, personally. Uh, I think that feeds into one of the communication issues at the club is that you sort of have this quite mixed messaging coming from the sporting director area of the club, um, insofar as he is defending stuff, um, but there's not necessarily a lot of talk of tactic, um, of, of strategy. The only real talk of strategy is we're looking towards younger players, we're looking towards prospects we can bring in and sell on, we're you know following that sort of model, which is absolutely fantastic. You know, it's a great model to follow, but it's quite a large but. Uh, if those prospects you bring in aren't very good, <laughs> then you aren't making much. Now, the second thing that, that feeds into is also how they deal with older players. And there's two specific examples um, that are very <laughs> fresh in the memory, I think it's fair to say. Um, I think the one that's really inspired this current focus on what, what's going on at Maribor is that of Josip Ilicic. Um, Ilicic returned to the club around about this time last year. Um, having been released by Atalanta, uh, I think, as everyone knows, obviously the past, between 2020 and 2022, um, were quite difficult for him. Um, you know, I think there's been a commendable uh, amount of privacy that's been allowed him. But, you know, obviously when he joined up with Maribor, he was clearly not fit. And, you know, he was only able to make a couple of substitute appearances before the end of the autumn period of the season. Uh, because of that. Um, over the winter, and when he came back in spring, you know, he was able to play more of a part. But, again, you know, he obviously hadn't had a full pre-season. Um, I think it would be fair to say, you know, he, he clearly wasn't um, fully match fit um, from a visible <laughs> perspective. Um Coming into this season, I think that's changed. Um, you know, he has been able to play more of a part. You know, okay, the cameo appearances, 30, 40 minutes here and there, each game. But in those periods, he's been very effective. Um, you know, if we go back to a very statistical basis of what he was doing um, this season so far, you know, before we get into the decision that's been made about him, um, prior to the derby and I didn't when I was I was looking at these stats on Y Scout um, before the weekend Ilicic was in the top 10 of successful attacking actions per 90 the top 10 in the league for XG per 90 and the top 10 for XA per 90 so what I want to say is you know okay maybe that's 30 minutes a game but <laughs> in those 30 minutes he's quite clearly very effective um, and you can't necessarily just lay that down as, uh, you know, okay, maybe other sides are tiring. You, you, you can't just throw external factors at it. You know, he is doing good because he's good. Which made, I think, what Maribor have done um, quite baffling to me. Uh, because after the derby, it became very clear that there was one person and one person only whom Maribor wanted to paint uh, responsibility on 
that being Josip Pilicic. Um, for, I think, primarily, saying he's not much fit. Um, now, as I hope I've just sort of shown, statistically, whether he's fully match fit or not, he's contributing. Uh, and he's contributing as much as, if not uh, more than most Maribor players. Um, but Bay have chosen to perceive that differently. Um, they pushed, there was rumour, I think, even on Saturday evening, that straight after the game, that um, they wanted to exile and or sack him. Um, and that hasn't happened. What has happened is that he has been exiled. To go directly from uh, Marble's statement, uh, on the coach's initiative, a decision was made that in the future the team's activities will take place without the presence of Josip Bilicic. Until further notice, he will practice training uh, according to an independent club program and will not be among the candidates for participation in the next matches um, the team had a day off on Monday morning according to the previously planned program and from Tuesday afternoon we are opening a new chapter of the work cycle in the meantime all direct participants met exchanged views during a frank conversation and decided on future steps um, I don't know why you do this I really don't know why they've done this um, and I think this probably feeds into the next issue, I, um, which is Damian Kiersner. Um And what we talked about really actually in the season preview for Maribor. Well, the big question we had in the season preview was, did Zanvipotnik simply paper over the cracks of the side? And it's quite clear so far that he and Ivan Bjernic did. Um, and that what they have as a squad isn't actually very good. But Josip Ilicic is in certainly the top 5% of that squad. Um, <laughs> let me just state that. Um, now, why you then exile someone who... Okay, if you if your issue is that you are not getting 90 minutes per game from him, then I sort of understand that. But if your issue is that you're not getting 90 minutes per game from him, then you also have to sort of consider, well what's he doing in the minutes he is getting and in the minutes he is getting he's pretty good so that doesn't make sense uh it doesn't necessarily hold water and also let's just say it, if you're expecting a 35 year old um a 35 year old who has you know over the past few years had pretty well documented fitness issues if you're expecting the 35 year old to be doing the conference league league Sunday, Thursday, trundle for two months and do 90 minutes, then he's going to be wrecked at the end of that. <laughs> um, now, okay, it's a slightly different scenario this time around in that we're coming off an international break, but still, you, know, you look at Maribor's um, season so far, you know, through August, um, sorry, not through August, through the season so far, you know, okay, say so we've only been one game since the international break, but between them entering Europe on the 13th of July and the, and and that international break, you have them playing 12 games, 12 games in the space of six weeks, six, seven weeks, um, which is a pretty sizable load on the squad. 
and again, then you're right, pulling out the 35-year-old guy for not being able to contribute for more than 30 minutes a game. That seems a bit strange. Um, you're picking the guy who, on the guy who, logically, is the guy who would actually need the most rest and recovery time. Um, yeah, so I think there's a personality thing there um, as much as there is anything else. Um, and we mentioned, obviously, at the start of this little bit uh, about how it just wasn't the only example of this. The other example is, of course, Rock Cronoveta. Now, Cronoveta, um, I think it was 35 when he left the club as well. Again, you know, long time, very good contributor for, uh, well, it was in the Piva League for multiple sides, but, you know, obviously during his spell at Maribor, you know, it was generally positive in his final season. It sort of turned to more um, cameo appearances than it was regular games, uh, regular starting games. You know, there was uh, 32 games played of 36 which, and averaging 50 minutes a game, which is still a pretty big load for a 35, 36-year-old, uh, as he was during that during last season. Um, but obviously his contract came to an end at the end of last season. And what, I'll be at pains to say, that what Rock Crenovita has said has happened um, is that he was basically told, you know, we'll, we're going to wait till the end of the season for you. Don't worry, we'll sort you out. Uh, but just hang on, we don't want to have this discussion. So this conversation about his future got had the can kicked down the road again and again and again. Um, and then at the end of the season, after the last game, they he just got to, to one side and said, "Yeah, you're not, you're not going back." Um, after so this is just his, his quote. Um, so I think this was to Vesser. Um After the last game, I got an explanation that they don't want to count on me anymore. Um, someone who's made a career for themselves, and this is how you say goodbye to a club. I didn't deserve this. The coach was in favour of me staying, but the sports director was not. Something doesn't seem right here. Now, I'm not going to argue the merits or otherwise of Marble having Rock Cronoveta in the side. Uh, that, you know, that isn't this discussion. The discussion is that's how the players come out of this particular discussion with Darren Kirsner and with Marco Soler, feeling that he's heard two different things, and also feeling that he's not been dealt with in an especially respectful manner around his departure from the club. That is, you know, again, whatever the playing standard rights or wrongs of anything, that shouldn't happen. You know, you should be able to have a clarity in direction. And it doesn't appear that Maribor had that in that particular decision. Um, and I think it doesn't appear that Maribor had that with Ilicic. And I think it doesn't appear that Maribor had that with a lot of their recruitment. And if we talk about their recruitment, um, you know, I think what's become clear as the season has gone from start to now is that what Damir Kiersnar wants is a striker who plays with his back to goal. Dinamo, you had that. Bruno Petkovic, fantastic at it. Um, and you saw during his uh, time at Dinamo, Zagreb, that it tended to be, you know, that they would be quite dull. 
I think it's fair to say. I I, I wasn't a, a, a major fan of Kids Now when managing Dynamo. Um, I think that's probably quite well known. Um, if you've listened to <laughs> to listen to this podcast before, but you know, over his time at the club, you, know, you sort of look at that uh, summer 2021 transfer window for Dynamo. And you point out who left. Mario Gavranovic. Now, again, I'm a, I'm a Gavranovic fan um, from when he was at Dinamo. Absolutely no doubt about that. What he did, he was a poacher. He loves running onto balls, playing on the shoulder, scoring goals. Great at it. He's, you know, let there be absolutely no doubt. He was very, very good at that. Um, and he got let go. Uh, after his best season at Dinamo. Let's be if we're quite honest, you know, uh, 19 goals in 40 games in 2021. Sorry, 20 slash 21 in that season. Um, and that's when he moved on to Kazerispor. Now, I think what happened last season is when Kiznar came in, he had Sam Vipotnik, and Vipotnik was simply too good to drop. Uh, and he had a side that was built around, he had someone else's team. Basically, it's I think we can clear that that was a side that was given to him on loan, um, and you had Bienich, you had Vipotnik, and he was able to utilise those players quite well because they were very good players, and he didn't have any other options. Um, in terms of this season, we've seen Vipotnik go, we've seen Bienich go, and the initial replacement was Juliana Skuka. I am a big fan of Juliano Skuka. I watched him in Categoria Pare. Um, and you know, you could see he's very similar to Sam Popnik. You know, he will he's big, he's brave, he's got two good feet, he likes to play on the shoulder, he likes to get in high, he likes to score goals. He is um a proper English championship striker. <laughs> um that's the sort of player he is. Um but he doesn't really get utilised very much at Maribor. And what Maribor did was, at the manager's request, um, was bring in this chap called Erico Castro, who uh, used to be at Diftange in Luxembourg, um, and who basically came in because they thought he played well against them in Europe. Um, and yeah, I watched the derby, and I've seen Castro's other appearance against Zellier. He certainly is a player who plays with his back to goal. Um, unfortunately for Marabal, what it appears to be is that he plays with his back to goal because uh, he's not very mobile. Um, so we almost compare it to like Chris Martin when he played for Scotland. Um, he's got a big bum, and he like he wants to back into players. He wants to hold the ball up. He wants to bring other people into play. He's not beating players and scoring. Um, I could be far harsher on him if I wanted to be, because from his first two appearances, he's honestly not looked up to this level. Uh, Which, when you have a striker who I know is very good on the bench, is, again, it's galling and weird. It is weird. Um, But it's obviously how Kiznall wants to play. Um... So you have then a side that I don't think are built very well. Uh, and you also have clearly 
a bit of a disconnect between what head coach wants, what sporting director wants, and you know, almost coming up at, with this, you know, we want to bring in young players, we want to do this, we want to do that, we want to sell them on. Um, it almost feels like an excuse to cover up for the fact that um, the policy of who they've brought in doesn't really make much sense. Um, you know, let's be quite honest. If you're bringing in players who you think you can make a profit on, why are you bringing in Itsuki Urata, for example? Uh, no offence to Urata, but, you know, he's been at high NL level, he's stepping down, and he's stepping down because he couldn't really get many games uh, at high NL level. Talk about Marco Cola, who's coming. Uh, Marco Cola was injured uh, for much, most of the season so far. Uh, he'll, he is you know, close to coming back, but he's 28. You're bringing in a 28-year-old striker. Um, again, who's stepping down a level. Um, you bring in El Arabi Hilal Sudani, who is old and um, sorry, that's me. Who <laughs> he's getting on, and um, is very injury prone. You know, since we saw him at Dino Instagram, he's had some quite serious injuries, which you know, understandably have slowed him down. There's no disrespect to him. Um, you bring back Blazovic, who's 31. So if you're wanting to build this young, energetic side, you've not signed for it. All you've brought in, if we're honest, is um, Baharafeta who is taking a big leap up from second tier of Macedonian football. You know, I think he's very capable of it, but you know, that is going to take time to acclimatise. You've brought in um, Mark Steiner from Domzal, uh, which was a really obvious... You don't, you don't get too much credit for bringing Steiner in because it was such an obvious um, buy. Uh, purely just because of what Maribor's needs were. Uh, and you promote a couple of players from within the club. Um, specifically, I think, you know, mainly that we've seen is Marcel Lorber, uh, who, you know, again, seems to be a good player. Uh, <laughs> no doubt about that. But, yeah, what are you doing? Um, if you, you have a stated strategy, which is buy young, buy low, sell high, that doesn't appear to actually be the policy you've put into place. If your policy is to have a side which, you know, really wants to, as I say, um, play with strike with the tackle and be bringing wingers in, well, you don't have the wingers. The only thing they really have is is fullbacks. You know, actually, if you're talking about Maribor's width, that is a really big issue because they don't have. Um, much of it. Um, yeah, Bahar Feta will be one who will bring a lot, and Jakubovic is one who could potentially bring a lot as well. Um, but again, you know, what are you doing? <laughs> Particularly if you talk about how they actually set up against uh, Olympia at the weekend, um, they set up without any width at all. Um, you know, it was purely fullback driven how they were going to get the ball to the striker, and as a result, you know. I think if you've watched that game, Olympia looked light years ahead of them. Um, that is just a fact. Um, you know, particularly in the first half, Asbeu kept it respectable. Um, you know, they were absolutely battered. And I think that's you know one thing that's fair to say if we talk about Olympia. Um, Olympia were not as clinical as they were as they have been for much of the season, um, and Olympia haven't necessarily looked too amazing yet themselves um we'll see how they 
how they go. Um, you know, I certainly feel it's Selye in the driver's seat this season. Um, and for Maribor, okay, this is a difficult set of games for them. You know, in a row for them. You know, to have Selye, Copair, so Selye, Olympia, and then Copair, which they have uh, next time out, uh, is not easy. Um, but it's also served to illustrate that Maribor are clearly a step below um, the sides that will be ch really chasing the title this time. Uh, yeah, when we when we come to May, um, you know, I think we've we, we've seen Celier Copair and uh, Olympia be a level above uh, the rest of the league so far. You know, Copair, um, we'll have to give Copair their flowers. You know, they are side. I think you know, if you listen to the season preview, the side I had quite a few doubts about. Um, because it was a very big window for them, um, and it's, you know, Sonja Zerkovic has, de has delivered there. Max Barasic is back, approaching top form. Uh, also brought in a Kazakh guy, Ramazan Orazov, who looks amazing um, <laughs> at this level. Um, again, he's only I think been fit enough for cameos so far. I'm really looking forward to seeing him get a full game and how he goes with that because in his cameos he's looked really, really lively. Um, so I think this probably feeds all into what we've been saying about communication. It doesn't feel like everyone at the club is on the same page. And this feeds back to, we go back two years, uh, and Samuel Rossman departing the club. One of the things he said about uh, Marble was there were too many people involved in too many things. Um, and that still feels like the truth um, for them. It, it doesn't feel like there's unity. It feels like if maybe there's not personal friction between sports director and head coach. It doesn't feel like they're they're certainly not on the same page. Um, I mean, I think that's that, that's pretty clear. Um, you know, based on the recruitment, it almost feels like you've got a sporting director putting together a side that he wants the head coach to tailor himself towards running and you also have the head coach saying I don't want that I want this um, and getting some of it and as a result you end up with uh, results like they've had recently which is they're clearly a step behind everyone else in that they would see themselves as, as their rivals you know we're talking about Maribor now having gone four domestic games without a win will not it's five games without a win but i'm not going to include Fenerbahce. um i'm i'm nice um you know late reverse against rogashka uh you know domzal uh who have been in no form um again getting a point from them and obviously Cellier and olympia Cellier, um you know beat them handily uh, it wasn't quite as comfortable as Olympia's victory over them was, but it was still pretty, pretty comfy for them. So that's where we're at with Marble. That's sort of my run through the crisis, as it were. It's not really a crisis, is it? It's it's a, it's a crisis if there's existential threat. Um, whatever one step below a crisis is, they're on they're on yellow alert. Um, we'll have to change the light bulb. Um, and there isn't necessarily an easy way out of it. 
um, I think what the Josip Pilicic saga um, has shown is that for now at least Damir Kiznar enjoys the support of the people who pay his wages and as a result um, there's going to be a bit of a detente uh, I think certainly until the winter window uh, but I do think that there will be an off-ramp at some point um, because it doesn't really feel like this situation can hold um, whether it's Marco Soler who goes uh, which I don't think will happen because I do this, there is pressure on him but he enjoys the confidence of people above him um, or whether it's Damir Kiersner who again also enjoy it, it's quite strange you know, so both of the key figures in this enjoy the confidence of the people who employ them but also they're both at odds with each other and that the centre won't hold in, in that regard um, it, you know, it, it simply can't um, so we will certainly see how Maribor do going forward you know, as we've mentioned, they have a very difficult game up next playing Copair. Then things get a little bit easier for them um, as we go into the next international break. Uh, after playing Copair, it's then uh, Radomnie, Alumini, and Mura. Uh, Radomnie have actually started the season okay, very out of keeping with them. Um, Alumini uh, are bottom with four points. And uh, Mura, see they've got their had their own issues this season so far. Um, they've got uh, Vladimir Verzemovic in uh, as head coach rather than Dejan Gravic. That was purely personal um, issues in in terms of Gravic and others at the club that really drove that particular partnership to split. Um, and I think what we're seeing probably at Maribor is quite a similar issue but one where no one's decided just yet that for them it's personally an intolerable situation for them to deal with. That's not to say they won't at some point, but not for now. And as such, the stasis at Maribor, I think, will continue for a little while yet. Um, sorry to say, for the Viola Casti. Um, and I think probably sooner rather than later we will see Sellier, Olympia and Copair pull away that little bit more from Maribor and leave um, them in the dust a bit unless they are able to get the issues we've discussed in this uh, long extended take on Maribor unless they're able to get those sorted as always thank you very much for taking the time to listen if you've enjoyed this feel free to share it on social media and stuff um, or you can contact me and tell me how wrong I am uh, at HYFPRW on all good social media services and also X um, which you might have to pay for you might have to pay for the uh, you might have to pay going forward for the opportunity to have a go at me um, <laughs> which should, should at least lower the amount of people who do um, if your chosen podcast service has the ability to leave a review, leave a review. Um, again, algorithms like positive comments. Um, and I do too. Uh, otherwise, 
Uh, thank you very much, as always, for taking the time to listen, and I will catch you next time.